Okay, get in here. I don't know how you sleep with all these lights. What are you scared of? I don't see anything. Okay, monster check complete. everybody and welcome to the latest episode of fresh cuts this is one of your hosts mike and joining me as always it's mr venom what's up venom how goes it greetings and salutations terrified children yeah i'm doing pretty well how you doing on this fine sunday uh i'm doing well uh another uh a weekend after a short week of work because of memorial day weekend so it crept up pretty fast but uh it did get hot this weekend, so I've been inside for most of it. But uh, yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been, oh, I, I, damn, did, I yes, was gonna sir. ask, did you go to Monster Palooza at all? Of course. <laughs> That's what I was literally about to say. Yeah, that I haven't really spent much time in my house this weekend. I, I've been, I was out most of the day Friday. I was at Monster Palooza yesterday, and today I've been out just kind of spending my poker winnings and uh, watching movies. Cool. Yeah. Um, I I had forgot that Monster Palooza was this week until I started seeing everyone's posts about it. And I was like, you know what? I bet Venom probably went at some point and we'll hear oh, about yeah. it. So I usually cool. go on Sunday. I like going on the last day of these conventions because that's when some of the vendors will start maybe dropping prices on some of their stuff. But obviously we had plans for today. So I decided to go on Saturday, which is the busiest day of any three day. <laughs> and now I remember why I don't go on Saturdays. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. Uh, all right. Also with us, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? Yeah. What's going on? Always happy to be here. All right. Well, uh, it should come as no surprise because we not only announced it, but it is a theatrical release. Uh, for this week's episode of Fresh Cuts, it's The Boogeyman, which hit theaters this past Friday. PG-13, an hour and 38 minutes. Uh, let's see, the synopsis. Steel reeling from the tragic death of their mother, a teenage girl and her younger sister find themselves plagued by a sadistic, sadistic presence in their house and struggle to get their grieving father to pay attention before it's too late. All right, uh, let's get our general thoughts on the Boogeyman. We'll kick it to Venom first. Uh, well, what did you think of the Boogeyman? Um, I kind of have a weird history with Boogeyman movies. There's not really a lot that are exceptional. I mean, there was that 2005 one that was also called the Boogeyman that was, you know, kind of okay, if not a little subpar. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously going into this, having you know a, a bigger studio attached to it and of course it's stephen king's boogeyman 
I had high hopes, but my friends, unfortunately, we just got the same old movie we've seen countless times before, and we will continue to see countless times moving forward. It's a pretty derivative, you know, color by numbers boogeyman movie. We don't get a lot of backstory. We get, in fact, we get little, almost no backstory on the boogeyman himself. You know, no lore, no nothing. Um, obviously, uh, we get an opening scene where um, a father who was the victim, the the previous victim of the boogeyman, um, indirectly, obviously, with his kids missing or, or having been killed, blah, blah, blah. Um, you, it's It has promise. It starts with promise. I like scenes like that. Um, you know, people that are perceived as maybe mentally unstable, going to see a psychiatrist and telling them this, you know, incredible, almost unbelievable story. Smile started out the exact same way. And much like Smile, this movie just kind of fizzled out on me. By the time we got to the third act, I almost didn't care. I will say that uh, the, it's, a, it's a great made film. Rob Savage does a really good job um, helming his first non-found footage movie. Um, obviously, the, he's the director of Host from 2020 and uh, Dashcam from, I think, last year or 2021. I can't remember exactly, but um, this is his first foray into a big budget horror movie, and it's not found footage, so he can actually play around with the cameras a little bit. And as far as the filmmaking goes, that's fine. Obviously, a movie like this is going to be filled with a bunch of jump scares. Uh, there was one in particular that re actually really got me. I, it got almost everyone in the theater. Um, so, you know, I'll talk about that in the spoiler section. But, uh, yeah, just, I, I don't know. It's one of those movies that has promise at first because you've got some great performances. I think, um, you know, our, our main girls, Sadie and Sawyer, are both very believable. Um, the little girl Sawyer, obviously, for Star Wars fans out there, played young Princess Leia in the Obi-Wan TV series uh, from last year. So it's nice to see her again. And, you know, she she does another great performance. She she was great as young Princess Leia. She's great here as this terrified little girl afraid of the monster in her closet. You know, we get the skeptical dad, as usual, you know, horror trope number 144 of, you know, the skeptical dad who doesn't believe their kids and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and what's funny is that the movie opens up with two skeptical dads, one who has yet to go through anything and one who's already gone through the majority of it. And, you know, it, it just, the scene ends well. Uh, it's really, it, I, I think my biggest issue is that they took a 12-page short story that was a nice, crisp, quick story, and they tried to flesh it out into a 90-minute story, and this story is not a 90-minute story. Uh, this movie should not have been 90 minutes. It should have been a segment in an anthology uh, film. You know, somebody... With the amount of short stories that Stephen King has written, I'm surprised no one has just done, you know, like Stephen King's Night Shift or something like that, where they give us like three or four of his short stories adapted by different directors and writers and whatnot. But uh, and this is what should have been in that film. This this movie, there's just not enough story here to fill up 90 minutes. Um, there's not enough horror set pieces. I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of darkness. I mean, man. Obviously, with a movie called The Boogeyman, there's going to be a lot of dark scenes. But Jesus Christ, the three quarters of this movie you can barely see. And that's in a movie theater. Um, I couldn't imagine somebody watching this at home and, God forbid, maybe not the greatest transfer. Because I, I can't imagine it, it, that they saw a whole lot of the movie, including the final chase. The final chase sequence is done mostly in the dark. So it's like... I don't know how you're going to build tension when I can't see the antagonist. Yes. You know, you don't show the antagonist for the first hour of the film. That's fine. That follows, you know, the horror formulas uh, hundreds of years old, which is fine. But then once we get it, you know, it should be like a big triumphant thing. Like, you know, like Gabriel and Malignant or, or once again, going back to Smile, even when mom, you know, the mom demon, if you will, in Smile shows itself, we see it in all its glory may not be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on who you are. But this one, yeah, they really they really kept um, the creature design of the boogeyman, you know, close to the chest. They don't really give us any great big shots of them. We, we do get a couple of decent shots of its face close up, but, you know, 
not a whole lot going on. Obviously, it's a CG monster, so the fact that most of the most of his appearances in the film do happen in the dark probably benefits that. You know, um, there are some moments of the final battle, the final confrontation between Sadie and the Boogeyman that looks uh, leaves a little something to be desired. Not a big kill count. I mean, you're looking at only about a two body count on this one. So if you're looking for gore, viscera, if you're looking for a lot of kills, this definitely isn't the movie for you. But there is some decent atmosphere. It's just, we've seen it before. It's nothing that we haven't seen before. And we're definitely going to see again, you know, uh, a lot more often. As long as Blumhouse is a company, we're going to see these kind of supernatural thrillers. Um, Ultimately, this is a middle of the road movie for me. They took very little from the short story. From For those who haven't read the short story, like I said, it's 12 pages long, and it only consists of that opening scene in the film with the psychiatrist and Lester Billings talking. So the entire short story is just them in the psychiatrist's office talking. They obviously have to flesh out the rest of the movie and, you know rather than give us lore and you know maybe past more past victims and things like that kind of the way smile did man i'm starting to realize this movie's making me like smile way more (laughs) and i was not a big fan of smile when it first came out so yeah i'm not going to call the boogeyman a bad movie i'm just going to say it's derivative it's pedantic we've seen it before it's nothing original nothing um um Nothing new or innovative, definitely nothing innovative, nothing really overwhelming about the film. It's it's just, it's middle of the road, it's decent. I, I think most people are going to get out of it what they think they're going to get out of it. And, you know, ultimately that's just another, you know, color by numbers supernatural horror film. So that's it for my general thoughts. All right. Uh, kick it over to Dawn for your thoughts on The Boogeyman. Um, wow. Um, it feels like Venom's reading off my notes. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I don't have much else new to add to this. Um, I, I mean, yeah, the, the, the main thing for me is that this is just completely mainstream paint by numbers, jump scare factory horror. And yeah, it, it very much feels um, reminiscent of smile. Um, and yeah, I, I'm starting to think that maybe I was a little bit too harsh on that one, because <laughs> this one is just uh, e- even more derivative. I mean, I, I probably could have called everything that was coming if I decided to play, because I had absolutely no, there was like very little to hear that uh, shocked me or surprised me. I, I kind of guessed where all the scenes were going pretty easily, and you know the oh the figure is going to be right behind her, or there you know he's going to be you know standing off in the shadows charging at him, and that's pretty much exactly what I, I figured was going to happen, and I I can see why that would probably upset like the you know the more hardcore fans, uh, especially with the PG thirteen rating, but did yeah um. Wow, I I don't really have much new to add. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll try to think of something, but uh, I'm looking back and and yeah, that, I mean, uh, there's not much here that warrants going on for over 90 minutes. I I mean, this very much feels like it could have been, you know, like uh, a sequel to the Bye Bye Man or. I think there was one. Um, I think there was one that came out on Netflix a while ago called Mercy Black or something. Yeah, I think that I, I think that one kind of feels very much in line with this. Um, and I mean, I can probably spend more time doing that, but uh, we're not here to talk about those movies. Uh, unfortunately, we're talking about this one, and I I, I genuinely don't have much else to add to this. Um, I, I mean, it's it's well made for what it is. Um, I, I don't hate any of its technical qualities. I, I, I just wish that there was more to this. Um, you know, do something different, do something, uh, you know, unexpected. I, I, I don't know. I don't have much else to add. Um, I, I mean, that's kind of taking like almost everything I have. Um, yeah, I, maybe I need to revisit smile one more time. Cause I, I, I may like that one a little bit more. Everybody says that one was good. And, I, I, I thought it was pr- fairly run of the mill. Just you know, two hours was too much. But I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I I don't have much else to add to this one. 
Yeah, I mean, Don, as far as like the comparison to Smile, I think it is an apt one. To me, a lot of the arguments you, anyone would make about this, or, or as far as what I've heard so far from um, the two of you, they could be applied to Smile as well, I agree. But with that said, I still think Smile did most of it better. Um, I, I think the 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 label of this being derivative, totally agree. It's one of those movies where it's like it's not it, nothing about it is like poorly done or it, it doesn't make it a bad movie. It just makes it like very, they do very little outside of what's expected. This movie is going to have a crowd like I don't I don't want it to get it mixed up like there's going to be plenty of people that go to see this movie and are like this is the movie I expected. This is the kind of movie that it delivered and for what it is I'm happy with it. Just for me though, it's like I, I've seen enough of these to where it's it might not get a bad rating out of me, but it, the rate like I would only rate it so high just because it doesn't really offer much beyond the box that it kind of wants to put itself in, and you can group it with a bunch of other movies and decide like which one of those types of movies are your favorite versus not so favorite, and hey, maybe this ranks higher on your list of those uh, types of movies. Um, but you're not going to get much beyond that. I think the story is pretty run-of-the-mill. I think the the scares, even though I agree with Venom, there is a jump scare that got me pretty good. I, I would assume we're talking about the same one, but we'll find out later. <laughs> but yeah, it's just... And I, one of the other things this movie does that a lot of these types of movies do in the third act is... I don't know if there's a term for it, but I, I like to call it like kind of demystifying the monster because once you, once the monster kind of takes over as far as screen time or they're just overexposed, you get to, it, it, it kind of takes the threat away almost because especially when they're heavily uh, used uh, or the, the use of CGI is heavily used to create the monster at, at a certain point when you see them on screen and like all their CGI glory, it's kind of like, uh, okay, I actually did. So I will say I did think like some of the use of keeping the monster in the dark was okay because when with CGI, I think it did help kind of suspend the disbelief a little more. And then later when the monster kind of comes out of the dark, then it's like, okay, like, you see what we're dealing with here. Uh, a lot of the tropes were there. Like Venom already brought up like the dad that doesn't believe anything or he, you know, of course there's like an, he, in his mind, there's an explanation for everything. I do think there's uh, subtext for trauma, but it just feels so similar to the way it was used in smile that I understand why not just on this show, but I've heard that comparison being made a lot. Uh, I did like the, the sisters, the, Venom already mentioned the younger one, but the older one um, by uh, Sadie Hop Harper, I think her name is. She people might recognize her. She's on the show Yellow Jackets. She plays uh, uh, Natalie. I, I think her name's uh, Natalie on it. Um, but yeah, she's on Yellow. That's where I recognized her uh, immediately. But uh, yeah, if so, so for people out there, if you've seen the trailer for this movie you probably know exactly the type of movie you're going to get. So I would almost say you use that as a big determining factor of whether you want to go to the theater. Now, there is a case to be made that if it's a big kind of like hot, like a, a big shallow jump scare fest, the movie theater could be the place to see it just because those that aspect will be enhanced with just you know the nature of seeing in the theater but if you're looking for something beyond that, then I would say just wait till it's streaming. So because of a lot of what I would have said has already been covered by Don and Venom, I'll leave my general thoughts for the there for the moment, and I'll kick it back to you, Venom. This movie felt like it was just giving me diminishing returns the entire way, like right from the beginning all the way through the end. Like I actually did enjoy um, the opening scene. I thought that the the actor who played Lester uh, Billings, don't ask me to pronounce his last name. I have no idea. People should recognize him from the Suicide Squad. He played Polka Dot Man. He's also um, in the Ant-Man movies. Um, I'm sure you guys probably recognize him from more stuff even than that. But uh, I, I, I thought that opening scene was really well done. I have read the short story. 
Uh, it's a quick one. I actually I actually read it last weekend in preparation for the movie coming out. Like I said, it's 12 pages long. You can find audio books of it on YouTube, you know, that are like maybe 20 minutes long if you want to check it out. But um, yeah, I, I, I love the opening scene. I usually like scenes like that. Like even in Smile, I like that opening scene, you know, with the with the therapist and everything. Um, you know, whenever we see scenes like that, I usually do enjoy those. And I enjoyed it here. But it's like once we get kind of the culmination of the opening scene from there, I, I just, I don't know. It's like I lose more and more interest. I agree with Mike that the two, our main girls are great. The relationship was great. Um, obviously, they're both, you know, um, working actresses. You know, it's not like this is like a first uh, feature for any of them. And, uh, you know, you can really tell. There's some great acting chops in this movie, but ultimately there's not enough acting chops to really save this story. As we've said before, the three of us could probably sit here and write a boogeyman story that's more compelling and more at least uh, um, imaginative than what we got from this film. Um, you know, hopefully this doesn't hurt Rob Savage's stock too much. But like Mike said, this movie is going to get an audience. Like, I mean, I saw it today. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I've been busy all weekend, so today was my first opportunity to see it. I saw it, um, and the theater was packed. I mean, for a Sunday at 11 a.m., a, a horror movie, the movie, the theater was actually pretty well packed. It was a fairly respectful crowd, not a lot of talkies or laughers or whatever. But it, it, it just, you know, for for guys like us, you know, the hardcore. Not just guys, excuse me, for people like us, the hardcore horror fans who have been in the community for a while, we've seen this before. There's really nothing all that special about it. If you love this movie, awesome. There, there's nothing wrong with loving this movie. Um, as I've said before, it's not a bad film. Uh, just like the, it's, that seems to be a theme over the last couple of weeks where, you know, the films aren't bad. They just don't offer up anything new. They're not innovative. You know, they're not breaking the mold. And ultimately, in 2023, horror movies just can't be this derivative. And it's kind of sad, especially, you know, because we're always championing, championing. <laughs> I can't speak today. Sorry, folks. Um, you know, horror films and theaters. And I'm always talking about, hey, support horror in theaters. But and this one, even like I said, I, I can't recommend this to a lot of people, but I am going to say, you know, if you're if you're into watching jump scare, uh, you know, films and like Mike said, the theater is the best place to watch them, then I would say give it a watch. It's as I said, it's not the worst movie you're going to see. It's not even the worst movie I've seen over the last couple of weeks, honestly. So, yeah, um, there's just not really a whole lot to praise about this movie. Like I said, we can praise the technical aspects. We can praise the performances. I even think the direction is done really well. Like there's a there's a couple of shots, like the opening shot in the film with the little girl in the bedroom. It's it's one long shot where the camera is just slowly spinning around the room. I thought that was really well done for for you know Rob Savage's first non found footage scene in a horror film. I thought it looked great. And throughout the film, there were more shots like that that looked really good. My biggest issue is going to be more with the writers. You know, Scott Beck, Brian Woods, Mark Heyman. Um, I just, I feel like this adaptation, first of all, who thought this was a good idea to take a 12-minute short story and turn it into a 90-plus minute theatrical film? I mean, you, you need better writers if you're going to do something like that. You can't get, like, Blumhouse's B-team to, you know, to do a movie like this and then expect it to be a phenomenon, you know, like an It Chapter One or something like that. So, unfortunately, yeah, this movie is probably going to fall into that bucket of forgettable Stephen King adaptations. It's nowhere near the upper echelon of, like, Carrie and Misery and stuff like that. Uh, it doesn't quite sink as low as stuff like Dreamcatcher by, <laughs> by any stretch, but um, it's definitely, oh, like no. I said... <laughs> no, nothing does really. <laughs> ass, ass eels, whatever the hell they were. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, I I don't want to poo-poo the movie by any stretch, but ultimately, for me personally, it didn't really do anything for me. It was a nice way to spend ninety minutes in the theater, but it's probably not a nothing that I'll probably return to. Um, not likely going to be a, a a rewatch at the end of the year for the top ten. So you know, yeah, just you know, buyer beware, basically. If you're going into this movie expecting something revolutionary, uh, pace yourself, my friends, because, yeah, revolutionary this film is not.
don't know what else you guys got. I, there's so little to talk about this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did like to ask. Well, there's a certain point where our older sister character goes to like kind of do investigating, and I did like kind of yeah. like the aspect that she runs into another character that's trying to figure out the situation. I did like that. Um, but of course, and I, I did like how she was kind of roping her in for a certain purpose. I thought that was kind of cool and interesting, almost like it ends justify the means. Sorry, kid, but th- this is how it has to be. I kind of like that sequence, but of course I, she messed it up with her own stupid tropes of like what not to do when you finally get the upper hand and you just let your guard down. <laughs> so it's like, okay, Weapon come dropper! on. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, that was disappointing. Even though, like, I, by that point in the movie, I knew it wasn't going to be, like, the conclusion anyway. But I was like, do you have to, like, do it like this? Because, come on. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to think if anything else really stood out. That, that's the thing. Nothing about the movie particularly stands out versus it being bad. It, it's it's yeah. not bad. It's just nothing really stands out. And they also do that thing at the end where they kind of try to tease, you know, a, a sequel or whatever, or or tease that maybe they haven't done what they thought they did. It just And I hate that. It's like horror movies don't always need that. Filmmakers, horror filmmakers, you don't always have to have a sequel tease at the end of your fucking films, okay? Uh, and this one, this one's annoying because after, after watching the movie for so long and seeing everything that this family's gone through... Um, then that final scene happens and and it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like that, that just irked me. And obviously, I mean, we'll talk about it more in the spoiler section, but you know, the, uh, the end scene, you don't really see anything, but it's, it's one of those ones where you have to interpret yourself. Um, you know, maybe yeah. it's a mental health issue, you know, maybe Sadie's just fucked up in the head now after everything she's gone through. I mean, she lost her yeah, mother, almost that... lost her father. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say Venom. that's a good point because, they do something at the end of the movie that's very common like that, but the problem with doing it in this case is I thought that, like, the whole reason that the entity or boogeyman or whatever was uh, targeting them in the first place, that reason had dissipated. So it's like, well, unless they're just trying to make an overall point of, like, trauma never truly goes away, and you can just compartmentalize it, so they'll, they'll always be susceptible, but I didn't think the movie is ever trying to be that deep during the running time, so I'm like, why would they try to drop that at the end, you know? <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, like, yeah. a little too deep. Like, something like the Duke, I can understand why they yeah. kind of sort of had an ending like that, because it made sense given the preceding 90 minutes or however long it was. This movie was more just like a surface level jump scare movie. So it's like, are you trying to really have a thinker piece at the final scene? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm at a loss for words, folks. I'm trying to think of something to say, <laughs> if this movie was terrible, it'd be easier to review. Cause I could, I could sit here and go on one of my rants about everything that sucks about the movie, but ultimately nothing about this movie really sucks. Quote unquote. It's just, it, we've seen it before. We'll see it again. It's nothing special. Is it worth your hard-earned money to go see it in the theater? I would say no. Um, I give it a mild recommend just because it is a supernatural horror film, and those are usually more fun in a theater with a crowd, maybe with some of your friends, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I still, you know, I still can't really give this a high recommend. Like, oh, you need to see this in a theater. Not at all. You can you can wait, honestly. Um, you know, watch it alone in your house when it comes out on VOD, you know, with all the lights off. In fact, that might actually be a better viewing experience for this particular movie, since most of the film takes place in a family home. Maybe watching this by yourself at night with the lights off in your empty apartment or house or whatever might actually raise the quality of the film. I don't know, but... Um, yeah, I, I just don't really have much more to say. That's uh, non-spoiler talk. You guys? Mm, I'm still waiting for a triple bill of this, the Bye Bye Man and Smile. And then they <laughs> top it all off with Darkness Falls. Oh, stop oh, it. <laughs> that's, 
Oh, God. They better not be charging much for that film festival. That's for damn sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one ticket better buy you an entire admission, not a ticket per movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck that. I better get snacks. I better get a a souvenir T-shirt. I mean, those are movies I wouldn't rent for a dollar. (laughs) But anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, I guess we're all good then on non-spoiler general discussion. Let's go ahead and uh, give the audience their final spoiler warning. This is your spoiler warning, folks. We're going to go ahead and get into the walkthrough of this one. But as I've said, if you've ever seen a Boogeyman film, you've probably seen this one. This one's just prettier. It looks nicer. It's got a higher budget, blah, blah, blah. And the Boogeyman himself, you know, we've all talked about how he's a big old CG, you know, nightmare. I will say, as Mike mentioned, the fact that he's usually in the dark does help. I didn't hate the design. I actually kind of dug the design of it, you know, with it's basically just a torso with four big limbs. I thought that was really cool. Um, it almost kind of reminded me of the, the Quiet Place alien. Thing. Yes, the Death Angels, absolutely. Especially the drawing, the drawing that the guy did that she <laughs> yeah. used, you know? Okay, I can see that, absolutely. All right, folks, so here we go. The Boogeyman 2023. Our movie opens up in a little girl's bedroom. She's by herself. She hears something rustling in the closet. Uh, She calls out to her father thinking it's like her dad or somebody in her family kind of messing with her. We see something come out of the closet and then kind of start to creep its way towards her. Not a direct camera shot, but, you know, we see flashes and glimpses and things like that. Finally, we hear the little girl's father's voice. We hear his voice saying, oh, honey, it's just me. I'm okay. I'm just coming in to check on you. But what we see as we hear this voice is we see a blacked, a black clawed hand reach up from the darkness into the, uh, uh, the, car- uh, the, the baby bassinet, whatever the hell you want to call it, crib, the baby crib. Um, and then the camera slowly pans to the right to show a picture of the family. And we hear the voice of the dad telling the daughter, oh, relax, it's just me. And finally, he gets mad and says, it's just me. And we, we hear a swipe and we see some blood hit that family picture. End of opening scene. Our next scene, we're introduced to Will Harper. He is our father and psychiatrist in the movie, or psychologist. I'm not sure which. I didn't see him give a prescription, so I can't say for sure which he is. But um, let's just say therapist for now. Um, He's talking to a patient, you know, uh, grabbing information from this person about some trauma that they've had. Uh, Their session ends, and she leaves, and he's left uh, by himself in his office. And then that's when Lester Billings makes himself... um, uh, basically shows up, played by David. Oh, God. Anybody want to take a shot at this last name? <laughs> I love this guy, and I can't pronounce his last name, and it really sucks. Um, let's just say David D. for now. So uh, Lester walks in, basically says, I really need to speak to you. The doctor says, oh, I don't usually speak to people without a phone consultation. Uh, Lester says, yeah, I, I just I need to speak to someone, anyone. I need to get this off my chest. Uh, The doctor relents and says, okay, I've got a free hour. Let's go ahead and do it. And then this is where Lester starts telling the story of his children. And basically he starts talking about how three of his children, all of his children, three of them in total, have been taken from him. The first was taken by SIDS. You know, there was nothing supernatural about it. It was just SIDS, you know, sudden infant death syndrome. Um, uh, but then because of the trauma that that caused the family, we learn later in the film that the boogeyman uh, is drawn to trauma. When families have, you know, when they lose a member uh, or something like that happens tragic, he's attracted to that. And then he basically just starts hounding this family um, later in the film. It's even mentioned that he likes to play with his food, where he likes to scare people to death uh, before he actually finally takes them. And and we see, you know, obviously throughout the throughout the conversation, uh, Lester keeps looking at a closet, a closet door that's only slightly ajar. It's open slightly ajar. And if you read the short story, you know how often 
that line is used that the door was only open a crack. I think that's what the exact wording was. Uh, the door was the closet door was just open a crack. He says it like five or six times in the short story. Uh, I think he only says it once here. But like I said, he's talking about his kids. The first one died from SIDS. And then the next one died about a year later. And this one was much more, you know, odd circumstances as to how it died. The kid was injured, almost like he fell down a flight of stairs. I think they might have mentioned broken bones, blah, blah, blah. And then he said... That's when he finally started to believe his kids when they were talking about the boogeyman and that there's something in the house. Because one day he actually sees the thing. He says that um, one, one night he heard his, his final living child screaming. And when he ran into the room, he caught a glimpse of it. He saw what it was. But unfortunately, it was already too late. The boy was dead. Um it doesn't seem like dad was ever accused of the murders, but he definitely has this sense of guilt that he allowed his children to be taken by this thing because he didn't believe their stories of, you know, the monster in the closet. Like no parent believes the stories of the monster in the closet. So um, basically the session ends and um, the doctor, the psychiatrist uh, decides to call the police. Um, he's, He's worried that this guy might hurt himself or others. Um, he even starts to believe that maybe, yes, he did kill his children. So in the process of calling the police, he ends up going upstairs um, to the bedroom where the older daughter had just left her first day back at school. Uh, I forgot to mention a pretty important aspect. Um, the mother of this family had recently passed away, which is why it's just dad and the two daughters. So, um the girl, um, Sadie, the older sister, goes to school, has a terrible day, has to, has to deal with a bully giving her shit about her dead mother. She ends up coming home early, and that's when our two scenes kind of intersect. Um, as I mentioned, when the doctor goes to, or when the therapist goes to the phone to call the police, Lester decides to go upstairs, um, just kind of searching the house. I don't know, maybe he hears a voice or something, potentially. He ends up going upstairs. He ends up going to the mom's um, art studio. Mom was an artist. We see like paint supplies and, and like canvases, you know, throughout the film. And he ends up going into the closet or something. He thinks that he hears a voice and he goes into the closet. And basically at the same moment that he goes into the closet, Sadie walks into the room and she hears a struggle in the closet. She hears a major struggle, um, ends up, um, seeing what looks like blood pouring from the bottom of the door, but then the red suddenly turns to technicolor. There's like greens and yellows and blues. And then when she pushes the door open, she realizes it's cans of paint that have fallen over. It's not blood, technicolor blood, obviously. Uh, but unfortunately, when she closes the closet door behind her, that's when she sees Lester's body hanging from the door. It does appear that Lester took his own life, that he hung himself in that closet. But obviously with Sadie hearing the struggle outside the closet door, she thinks that there's something a little bit more to it. The police come, they take Lester's body away, blah, blah, blah. And we just kind of go from there. From then, uh, from that time, once Lester has is gone, once he's, you know, died or took his own life, whichever you want to go with, I think we all know what really happened. Um, uh, Sawyer, the younger daughter, starts seeing things in the house. Uh, she thinks that she sees something under her bed. If anybody saw the trailer, I did watch the trailer after I saw the film. So they put the scene with the light orb that she keeps in bed with her. Um, you know, that's one of the very first sightings of the boogeyman in the film. Uh, again, not a very good shot. You get a quick glimpse of its face. And when I say quick, I mean like split second, literally. So it's established that, yes, there is something in this house. Obviously, dad is skeptical, doesn't believe the stories. Eventually, older sister Sadie um, starts to see and hear things herself. At one point, she goes down to the basement and she thinks that she sees her mother in her dress. But when she turns the light on, it's just the dress hanging there, uh, you know, on a hanger, uh, on a rack of clothes. But there's like little supernatural things like that, you know, voices footsteps heard in other parts of the house, blah, 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 blah. You know, this horror, the same haunted house tropes that we've seen a thousand times before. Um, let's see, eventually 
Sadie starts to believe Sawyer, and she ends up going into her father's office and finding his recorder. He's got a little digital recorder where he records all his sessions, and she finds the Lester Billings session, the, the one session that he had with her father, and she listens to it. And she realizes um, at one point that, or should I say she finds Lester's notebook. Lester ends up bringing a notebook with him to that session, the one session that he had with Dr. Harper. And and apparently the police didn't find it, which uh, that, that's hard to believe. Um, <laughs> police investigations are usually pretty good. But she ends up finding the notebook underneath the couch. She can see that a page has been ripped out of it. And then while listening to the tape, she hears that, um, that Lester ripped a page out of the notebook and handed it to the dad and basically said, you know, this, this is what my son said it looked like. Sadie ends up uh, grabbing the page after it and then running a pencil across it, you know, to try to see the tracing of the picture before it. And what she sees is a very elementary, like a little kid drew it, basically a monster with four large limbs and this little torso. It almost looks like a six-legged, or excuse me, a four-legged spider, if you will. Um, after seeing the picture, she realizes that there might be some truth because some of the stuff that David... Um, excuse me, that, that Lester said on the recording matches things that uh, little sister Sawyer said to Sadie. So, of course, her interest is piqued. She ends up finding um, Lester Billings' address, which, by the way, I'm a little upset they don't give us the entire town because in the short story, Lester Billings is from Waterbury, Connecticut, which is my fucking hometown. It's where I was born, my friends. Um, and I, they mention Waterbury multiple times in the 12-page short story, but apparently it's too much to mention in a 90-minute movie where Lester was from. Even to the point where when she looks at the piece of paper that Lester filled out, he omitted the, the, the city and state. He only put down his address. So, so my friends, this movie takes place just outside of my hometown. So I, I think that's pretty cool. Even though they don't mention it in the movie, if you read the short story, you know it's Waterbury, Connecticut, which is my hometown. So anyway, it's nice. I felt like a little connection to Lester. Um, she ends up, uh, as I said, Sawyer, um, oh, excuse me, Sadie, the older sister, ends up going to Lester Billings' house, and the outside of it looks decrepit. It looks like it's been abandoned. There's broken you know, broken windows all around the house, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, um, Sadie does go ahead and go into the house. Uh, when they're in the house, it looks like a scene from Hoarders. You know, there's just trash everywhere, rotten food. Um, she opens the fridge, and just a bunch of flies come out, and it just looks awful. Eventually, as she's leaving the house, she ends up running into Lester Billings' wife. Yes, uh, Rita Billings. And when, obviously, Rita thinks that, you know, uh, that Sadie's just like some kid looking for, a, you know, a thrill or whatever, breaking into the murder house or blah, blah, blah. But eventually, Sadie does convince her that, um, I think my sister saw what Lester saw and what your kids saw. And she ends up showing the tracing, the pencil tracing that she made of the original drawing to Rita. Rita instantly, you know, just balls it up and throws it on the floor and just doesn't even want to look at the picture. But it's fairly obvious that Rita knows what's going on. Um, throughout the all the lights are on, even to the point where she's got extra lights, like, you know, movie set lights all propped up throughout her house. She's got candles burning. I mean, literally in every hallway, there's dozens of candles burning um, so that there's no darkness in the house whatsoever. Eventually, um, Rita uh, believes that the boogeyman is standing right behind Sadie. We don't see anything, but this is Rita. They could be establishing mm -hmm. that Rita is maybe mentally unstable herself, blah, blah, blah. But uh, she ends up taking a shot in the dark. Uh, with the shotgun that she's holding in her hand, a nice big 12-gauge shotgun, um, but doesn't hit anything, but it scares uh, Sadie enough to go running out of the house and just get, get the fuck out of there. And they pretty much leave it at that. Now, eventually, at one point, uh, the boogeyman actually does attack. And mind you, folks, I've skipped a couple of set pieces here, but ultimately, they're not ultra-vital to the story. Um, one night Sadie is home. 
she's not exactly by herself like her sister it's it's on a night when her sister invited some friends over and i say friends with quotations because these bitches don't give a shit about sadie maybe one of them does one of them is like her ex-best friend but the rest of them are almost there just for the freak show to see this girl. And, and she provides the freak show that they were expecting. She freaks out at one point. She takes a hit of a joint, a joint that's probably like a fucking year old. It was half smoke. It probably tastes like ass. I mean, when Sadie made the claim that she had actual drugs, I'm like, oh, God, don't pull that roach out. For fuck's sake, don't pull. And yep. She pulls out her mother's half-smoked joint. I'm thinking that's bad luck. Why would you finish a dead person's joint? Like that's got some bad juju attached to that shit. Yeah. Anyway, that was that was interesting. <laughs> like I was like, tell me she actually has like her own stash, and she's not going for that yes. old decrepit thing she found in the box. Oh uh, god, and not even in an airtight box, and like one of the like an Altoid mince tin. She just flips open and there's like a little bit of weed and like a half smoked joint. And I'm just like, oh, that's garbage. Throw that away, honey, please. <laughs> High school mm -hmm. kids, they don't know any better. Um, so at this party, um, Sadie ends up having a little bit of an episode where right after she takes the hit, she starts coughing uncontrollably, which is you know fairly normal for someone hitting a joint for the first time in high school. But then the cough doesn't go away and she's like, coughing and she, she's got this worried look on her face she ends up going to the bathroom and pulling a string out of her mouth she keeps tugging at the string tugging at it until finally out pops her little sister's tooth that they pulled out from an earlier scene there was an earlier scene where she used the old you know the closing the door with the string attached to the tooth and the door handle trick you know that we've seen countless times um they end up um you know, taking the tooth out and well, <laughs> the boogeyman really took the tooth out because uh, Sadie said she was going to close the door on the count of three, but then she said one and the door slammed shut on its own. So, um, but yeah, that string with the tooth on it was left at the scene, you know, where they, where they extracted it and they never picked it up. But apparently the boogeyman did because now it's coming out of Sadie's throat. Sadie comes out of the bathroom distraught, crying, and the other girls just are, there's one girl in particular who's like the bitch of the group, and she makes a comment about Sadie being a freak show. Sadie slaps the shit out of her. Uh, the girls all end up leaving, and then after they leave, you know, dad is in his bedroom because he, he, he promised Sadie that he wouldn't bother her during her little, you know, sleepover or whatever it was, their hangout that they were having. And he also let Sawyer, the younger sister, play PlayStation for as long as she wanted, just again to stay out of her sister's hair. Um, but once the friends all leave, uh, this is when, uh, let's see, Sawyer, the younger sister, gets attacked. She's in the bedroom. She's in the living room, I think, playing her PlayStation or her dad's PlayStation, whatever. And suddenly she hears something creep into the room. She hides on the couch like she, you know, she was sitting up and then she lays down because there's something behind the couch creeping up on her. Uh, we get to see some quick shots of the thing as it's walking around the couch towards her. Finally, it does grab her and attack her. Um, we don't really see much of the attack, but what we do see is Sadie getting thrown into the flat screen TV that she was just playing video games on. Um, obviously dad is still kind of skeptical, you know, he's, can't come up with a logical explanation for all of this at the hospital, you know, Sadie looks like she's been beat up a little bit. She's got some bruises and cuts on her face, but while she, while the family is at the hospital, uh, Sadie gets a phone call from Rita Billings, basically saying, um, I figured out how we can beat it. I need you to come here as soon as you can. Um, Sadie does exactly that. She goes to Rita's house. And when she gets there, Rita basically tells her, I think I figured out a way to beat this thing. If this thing is attracted to trauma and families breaking apart, we need to fight it with love. We need to show that your family isn't as broken as the boogeyman thinks it is. Um, but unfortunately, instantly Rita kind of changes her tone and actually ties up uh, Sadie to a pipe in the room and basically 
as we can see, there are strings. There's like um, booby traps all around the room so that if anything comes into the room, uh, all the all the booby traps are uh, they're attached to like a 12 gauge um, shot, like a, a, a cartridge with like a hammer behind it so that it basically if anything trips the wire, you know, it, the hammer is going to fire the, the 12 gauge shot. They end up attracting uh, the boogeyman to the to Rita's house, and the boogeyman actually falls for the trap at one point. He actually goes right into the room that Sadie is tied up in, and he trips all the wires, and he's shot like five or six times by different 12-gauge shells around the room. He falls to the floor... And instantly I'm and, and I actually said this out loud at the theater. I'm like, double tap. I got a little chuckle out of a couple of people in the theater. I said, double tap quick. And she actually does it. She actually does shoot the thing a couple of more times while it's down. And I'm thinking, awesome, smart lady. But then what does she do? She puts the fucking shotgun down to then go and untie Sadie thinking that the boogeyman is now dead. She even makes a comment like, see, I told you we could kill it. But then when she bends over to untie Sadie, of course, the boogeyman comes to, attacks her, and this scene was really dark, so I might have to get confirmation from my co-host, but I think the boogeyman cuts her in half, right? Did he, like, tear her in half? That's what I thought I saw. It's a split second. It's just a quick shot. Um, but yeah, uh, that was how I think back. That was how I took it. I mean, I... Yeah, I mean that was how I took it. I mean, I, I couldn't tell for sure. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's just nearly impossible to see <laughs> half of the stuff. But yeah, that was the way I took it. Yeah, it, I mean, at the very least, he either ripped her head off or he cut her in half. But like I said, I thought I saw her upper half like fly out like to- across the room in one quick shot. Like I said, so anyway, yeah, at this point, I I, re- oh, I, I remember what you're talking about. I just can't remember if. I saw enough to say it was like half of her body or just she was completely torn. But I I know exactly what you're talking about. Either way, she was pretty messed up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He tore her up really good. (laughs) No pun intended. Um, So, yeah, at this point, Rita is dead. Uh, Sadie is able to get out of her because uh, basically when the boogeyman actually kills her, actually tears her in half, uh, the 12 gauge shotgun in her hand goes off shooting the pipe that Sadie is tied to. Of course, it breaks the pipe. She's able to get um, her her twist tie or her zip ties, excuse me. She's able to get her zip tie undone, and she's able to get out of the house. And when she gets out of the house, she gets a call from her father. As it turns out, uh, Sawyer and her dad have left the hospital already. And Sadie obviously is very aware of, oh, shit, if this thing killed Rita, it's guaranteed going right to my house right now. How this thing travels between houses is beyond me. They never show it. It's not like it's literally jumping from closet to closet. You know, the Monsters, Inc. technique, if you will. Um, They never really explained that. Just for some reason, um, it shows up. It does eventually show up at Sadie and Sawyer's house. It does attack the dad. Um, Basically, the dad, at this point, the dad is starting to to believe. He's starting to believe that there is something in their house malevolent that's trying to do them harm. When he receives the phone call from Sadie, he's literally at the front door opening the front door, but he actually, believe it or not, he actually heeds Sadie's advice. He's like, you know what? You're right. I'm not going to go back in there. Unfortunately, when he turns around, something grabs him and Sawyer. I mean, he's holding Sawyer in his arms. Something grabs them and pulls them into the house. Sadie then eventually does show up at the house, realizes that dad and Sawyer are missing, Eventually, she finds them down in the basement, and she sees, uh, this is where we get one of our first really good shots of the boogeyman, where we see him up in the corner actually holding her unconscious father's body in his hands. Um, it looks like he's about to do something to him, but um, they're, they're using light. If I didn't mention it before, obviously, the boogeyman doesn't like light, um, so anytime a room is bright, you know, he can't really... Uh, dwell in that room so you know they're trying to get lights on um eventually uh the boogeyman does disc- discard of the dad just kind of throws him across the room um sadie and sawyer collectively 
are trying to thwart the uh, boogeyman. Eventually, what ends up happening is Sadie or Sawyer, the younger sister, has like an aerosol can on her. And then Sadie has her mother's Zippo lighter on her. Of course, they join forces and they uh, they emulate the ending of 2016's The Monster by using an aerosol can and a lighter to set the monster on fire. And they and set it on fire. They do. This thing is engulfed in flame. By the time the scene is over, we see like we see the boogeyman still on fire and he's basically turning to ash, you know, bits of them are falling off, blah, blah, blah. Everybody feels great. Um, obviously, <laughs> I haven't really talked much about the relationship between the dad and the daughters. Obviously it's a strained relationship because of, you know, the mom's passing dad doesn't go to the therapy sessions with the girls when they do go to therapy. So then we get a final scene in the film where we see dad at therapy for the first time with his daughters. He talks about how he wasn't prepared to be a dad by himself when mm -hmm. his wife died. You know, he figured his wife would be there forever. He even makes the line of, you know, I figured my wife would be here to fix my mistakes for the rest of our lives. And obviously she's not. And I'm terrified. He actually says the word. I'm terrified of being yeah. a dad. But, you know, obviously they, they get together. Um, it, they, they end up having a big old group hug, the therapist, I, I and they're did, going to go ahead. I did. I did like that aspect because I felt like it was showing that basically he, he was, um, not dealing with his grief and trauma over the wife's death in the, in the name of like, Oh, well, I'm doing it to protect them. But really he was doing it because he didn't, he didn't want to deal with it himself. And this, and the, byproduct of that was the daughters were getting more emotionally messed up because it was like not only did they lose their mom but now their dad's acting like a shell of himself and there there is an understandable aspect why he would be grieving and still not fully uh present and emotion like emotionally fit for them but the fact that he wasn't doing the therapy it's like well dude you're not even taking the steps to try to get back so it i think it was good that at the end like it showed him kind of confronting the fact that, yeah, I should yeah. probably be dealing with it too. Exactly. There's definitely an arc, a character arc for dad. You know, he, he seems standoffish and kind of, you know, to himself throughout the film. Anytime. Which is kind of, which is kind of crazy though, because he's a therapist too. So you would think yes. he would almost <laughs> understand the value in uh dude, you should go talk to someone as well. Yeah, exactly. And, like I said, there's there's a couple of times in the movie where Sadie tries to talk to her dad and rather than sit there and listen and give her advice, he basically just says, oh, you should say that to your therapist tomorrow. And she's like, well, I was trying to tell you. And dad doesn't even react to that statement, just ends up walking out of the room and saying good night, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, obviously you can see that these two or three have a very strange relationship. But in our final scene, like I said, it seems like they're finally at a point where they can face their trauma and deal with it together as a family. As they're walking out of the, of the therapist's office, Sadie hears a voice. Once again, she hears her mother's voice that, that um, I, I don't know if I, I, I think it's pretty obvious, but I, I didn't specifically say that, yes, the boogeyman can emulate other people's voices. Hence why people are constantly thinking they hear someone talking to them when it's actually nobody there. It's just our, our boogie boy. <laughs> um, so at the end of the film, like I said, as Sadie is walking out of the therapist's office, she thinks she hears her mother's voice again, and she turns around and she goes back into the therapist's office. And what do we see? We see the closet door on the opposite side of the room, slightly cracked open. It's open just a little bit. She ends up slowly walking towards the door. At one point, she reaches for the door to open it. And then her therapist shows up and says, can I help you with anything? Uh, she basically just looks at the therapist and says no and just slams the door shut. And that's the end of our film, folks. No no post-credits scene. So no need to stay for all the credits for this one. But yeah, as I said, not a terrible movie. Just been there, done that, I guess, is just the best way I can put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> 
But it's still a horror know. movie. In the, it's still else. a horror movie in the theater. So go see it. <laughs> I still, I still always, no matter the quality of a horror film, it's like I, I want to see people support it. You know, I mean, it's the only way we're going to get more, you know, big budget horror films in theaters is if we support these kind of movies. And as we've all kind of said, all three of us agree, this movie isn't bad. It's not a bad film. It's not even a below average film. It's it's right around average, um, but it's just the story doesn't really do much, especially in the third act. The story doesn't really do much to, you know, build the tension or, or have any kind of plot twist. Like there's no plot twist or anything in this kind of film. So, yeah, it's it's just there, you know, but Don said it best. It's color. It's color by numbers. Uh, supernatural horror. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Um, yeah, that pretty much sums it up for me, too. No need to repeat what was just said, but I think it sounds like the three of us are pretty much on the same page with this yeah. movie, so mark it, mark it down. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't uh, happen often, folks. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, that's probably going to do it for on the boogeyman then so before we get out of here let's go around the cast to see if there's anything new to uh let the listeners know about so venom i'll start with you nothing new specifically from since the last episode we were supposed to record creature comforts episode 18 this weekend unfortunately one of us uh uh, became ill so that ended up getting postponed it just gave me more free time to spend at monster palooza but um ultimately that'll uh, hopefully get recorded it's not going to get recorded this weekend because this coming weekend i have another monster weekend coming up i have a tattoo convention and um obviously poker i have poker every single weekend um, and I'm also recording a guest spot on Sunday for the Joe Blow Horror Show, where we're going to be talking about Resident Evil movies. Um, I have been assigned with Resident Evil Apocalypse, which is the second film. I believe, Mike, you have the third one. So you'll, you're also going to hear Mike in that series. Um, that's the Joe Blow Summer Series, you know, where they take a horror franchise and review all of them with different guests. In the past, they've done the Romero um, zombie movies. I forget what they did last year, and I, I was a part of it, but I don't remember what the hell I did. I think it was the zombie series. Oh, was that last? Oh, so I don't know what I did two years ago then, whatever it was. Because I know this will be the third time I'm with Joe Blow. Because they always do the beer review during their episode, too. So I always got to make sure I have, like, some exotic beer with me to talk about. Because they have a segment on that show for beer, so blah, blah, blah. That'll be happening this weekend. Um, that's pretty much it. Creature Comforts episode 17 is still the latest. Um, Crystal Lake Gift Shop uh, episode 3 is still the latest. Um, the main show, though, that's going to be... Um, uh, well, no, that's still, what, episode 52 or 3 for my picks, the docudramas. Um, that's still going to be our latest episode out there. Yeah. Uh, we do have an episode planned. Um it's just probably going to be a couple of more weeks before we can record that. Unless we find like some weird off night that, you know, all three of us are available. It's probably going to be a little bit before you get the next episode of Creature Comforts or the main show. Hopefully Mike and I can get together sooner rather than later to get Crystal Lake Gift Shop episode four out there. But that's pretty much it for me, folks. Not a whole lot to talk about. All right. Uh, Don, how about you? Yeah, um, pretty much like we uh, said last time, um, or I, I shouldn't say last time, but uh, if you heard the last show a couple days ago, um, I do have a uh, couple of guest spots that are recorded or about to be released. Um, the ones that are recorded but not released, Stu World Order, where I looked at Red 2, um, Road to Nowhere, where I did a triple bill of Lucio Fulci films. Uh, both of those are still awaiting release. Uh, now that it is released, um, I joined uh, Paranormal, The New Normal, to look at a bracket of shark movies where I was the only one to make the uh, make the effort to actually watch the films because um, nobody else apparently did. Um, and uh, the latest episode of Horror Countdown is available where I look at horror locations that you can visit. So uh, pretty much think like uh, Camp Arawak for Friday the 13th, the um, the barbecue Stanley joint. Hotel. Yeah, um, Stanley Hotel or the um, 
the barbecue um, restaurant for Texas yeah. Chainsaw. Um, yeah, we uh, basically looked at, uh, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, just waiting on, yeah, uh, Creature Comforts to uh, record and a couple of other guest spots that um, I've talked about, but I haven't had any uh, confirmation on recording days yet, so I'll uh, save those for when they appear. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, all from me. All right. Uh, as far as I go, the only thing that has not already been mentioned for from Venom was I did a guest spot on Slumber Party Massacre talking about horror franchise entries that jumped the shark. Um, unfortunately, the episode, the episode I was on is not released yet, so you can't listen to that one yet, but you can still listen to their show. I believe the episode before I guessed on the guest was Dave Z's, so um, I'm sure most people like in the greater community are familiar with who that is. Um, so if, you, if uh, either the show or Dave Z or both interest you, go check out that, I guess, to pr- in preparation. I mean, chances are you might already be listening to that show anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep mentioning it until it actually releases so I can then finally say, okay, go listen to it now or that specific episode at least. And then other than that, yeah, uh, the the gift shop, Crystal Lake gift shop. Yeah, I agree. Then I'm like, I would say for that type of show, we could almost probably just find a random night to do it. It's it's yeah. it's kind of an easier one to do. Exactly. Um, so yeah, we'll plan something to get that out. Um, the next yep. episode, I mean. And then as far as fresh cuts goes. I want to say the next wide release is the Blackening, which isn't this coming up Friday, but the next Friday. So we might have to go back to VOD um, just because if there is anything releasing this week, I don't know if it's like a wide release. So um, I just checked. Yeah, I don't see anything in the listings for a wide release. Um, the Blackening okay. uh, talked to me the week after that. So, I mean, the rest of July after this week uh, will be in the theater. Cool. All right. Or oh, June. I said but then, not July, June. June. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I forgot what month it is. Cool. <laughs> and well, in California, once it hits like June, it's just like we're in the hot months and I'll let you know when it's not hot anymore. That's <laughs> it's all kind of <laughs> blends, but um but yeah, I think that's gonna do it for this episode of Fresh Cuts. Thank you everybody for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Until then, let's say bye to the listeners. Later. Always talk out your problems with a therapist. Best way to go. Peace.